Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to another WNBL season and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. Yeah, yeah, it would be a bit of fun. It was just kind of like um, chewing the fat about the Australian women's basketball landscape, the upcoming WNBL season. Um, some of my favourite podcasts that I follow sometimes have episodes like this. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me is my co-host Jacinta Gavind and today we are talking about nothing in particular. This is our show all about nothing. Jacinta, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I'm kind of looking forward to this one because we can pretty much talk about anything we want to get into. So it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a bit of fun. It was just kind of like um, chewing the fat about the Australian women's basketball landscape, the upcoming WNBL season. Um, Some of my favourite podcasts that I follow sometimes have episodes like this and one in particular calls it Hot Gossip. So Hot Gossip? Hot Gossip, which (laughs) probably isn't something I can really promise too much of. No, probably not with this one. (laughs) (laughs) You never know, we might come up, we might, you know, unfold something for someone out there. Yeah, we might. Okay, look, I'm going to start this one off with NBL1. Okay, we had an announcement just recently about the NBL1 East, the teams that are going into into the competition. And for me anyway, one of the things that was most interesting is who's not in the competition. You know, last week we were talking with uh, Sarah Graham and Kristen Veal, and we were talking about NBL1. COE did not make it into NBL1 East. They're not part of NBL1 South. I've got to be honest, I was really surprised about that. Yeah, me too. I was surprised as well, um, especially since COE were included in the last uh, one or two New South Wales Waratah League seasons. And considering they weren't announced in the NBL 1 South, we were kind of all expecting COE to be included in NBL 1 East. However, yeah, they weren't there at all, which is really surprising. Yeah, and I think one of the things that really surprised me is Albury is in 2 East. And if I'm just looking at it from the point of view of just travel time and travel distance, you know, if Albury's got to go all the way up to play up at Newcastle, uh, whether it be Maitland or or the Hunters, you're basically looking at a seven to eight hour trip by road. Yeah, compared to if they were part of South, you'd be able to get a much shorter uh, trip down to Melbourne. You know, it's only three hours down the road. So that one doesn't make a lot of sense. And more importantly, what about all those teams that actually have to travel from the Hunter region or Sydney or even Illawarra all the way down to Albury? Yeah, and considering it's uh, Albury, Canberra, Illawarra, welcome back Illawarra, by the way, to um, the Division One tournament of New South Wales, because that generally Illawarra have only been in the youth league comps the last few years. So welcome back, Hawks. 
But, yeah, but, I mean, you've got those three teams and, you know, they are typically down south. Like when you play juniors in New South Wales, they're all included in the Southern Junior League competition. But geographically they're still not very close together and they are still quite separated from the rest of the teams that have been entered into NBL 1 East. So, yeah, I do feel like adding Aubrey is a really interesting decision and I wonder if it was Aubrey's decision or if it was NBL 1's decision. Yeah, I would like to find out some more about that because, you know, the other part to this for me is, you know, you've got the COE who are one of the key pathways for upcoming basketball players. They're not going to be able to have competition at that sort of level given that they're not part of NBL 1 Who are they going to play? Yeah, they're not going to have competition at any level because they won't be playing against anyone, which is just ludicrous. Like, as you said, it's one of the main pathways. This program is essentially, you know, if you listen to our last episode with Sarah Graham and Kristen Veal, you know, we talk about how the COE athletes are the future Opals and Boomers going to our Olympics and we're not even providing them a competitive platform to foster their talent and their skills, you know, to keep them on that pathway of representing Australia and the senior teams. It's just dumb. It's just dumb. Yeah, I, I kind of get to the point where I really wonder how you can sort of say that the NBL One East is going to be, a, or NBL One generally, going to be providing a high level of competition if you've got a team like the COE who aren't able to participate. I mean, I know last season in Waratah they came out and there were some teams that they just absolutely trounced. But that being said, that's no reason to exclude the team because they need to have that level of competition. Are we saying that basketball competition in Australia is to assist to try and develop talent to be able to go to the Olympics and be able to participate in international competition? Or are we saying that, hey, you know, it's just going to be about the local competitions and hopefully out of a competition like, you know, NBL 1, we'll develop players. And that seems a little bit scattershot. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, off air, we were talking about COE entering either South or East. And yeah, based on the past couple of seasons or games that COE have had played against some of the East clubs, I mean, that example that people keep bringing up was against Inner West Bulls. And that is a really, really brand new club uh, with pretty inexperienced players. So that's probably a bit of a an outlier if we're kind of measuring competitiveness. For and sure. Look, and if you look on paper, the COE would be much better in NBL 1 South because South is a long-standing tournament because we know before it was Seaball, there are some very strong clubs. You know, I think the upside of COVID was that a lot of our players could stay home. So we had like a really high level of competition in South. So if you're Christenville, you're going to kind of want them to play in South because they're going to get a high level of competition all the time. But the advantage, I guess, of playing East is that they still get playing time. Like nothing can replicate the value of getting game time. You can train all you want. It's not going to be the same as playing in a game and what you're going to learn from a game. And even if you're playing against teams that probably aren't at your strengths when you're playing NBL 1 East, you still learn the lesson of having to play at a high level and having to play at a high standard regardless of who you're playing against. And that's something that I think a lot of young players can really value from. They can really value from lessons like that. Yeah, and you're right, going back to that point of the game and the scoreline that everybody brings up, 
yeah, Inner West Bulls is a relatively new team. Yes, they are still trying to, you know, they're still working through the development of their organisation. So it is a, a completely unfair comparison. But what I really struggle with is you've got this talented pool of, of players who need the competition and they're not being given the opportunity to compete. I'd really like to hear from NBL1, and I'm throwing it out here now, where you got a standing invite anytime you want to come on the show so we can talk to you about it, because I'd really like to understand the logic behind COE not being included in any of the NBL1 competitions. I think between the two of us, we'd like to get some clear answers about it, but I know that a lot of our loyal listeners would also like to get answers about it because it has been a couple of, I've received a couple of messages over Instagram of, about a lot of the NBL1 stuff, so I'm sure they'd want to know as well. Okay, so we might try and see if we can reach out to NBL1 and see if we can get someone to come on the show and have a talk about this one because, yeah, it's definitely a bit of a subject of concern for people. Okay, so I'm going to throw it over to you. And What's the next thing you'd like to talk about? Yeah, well, leading up to this show, uh, between us, our personal accounts and the Shooting the Breeze Twitter, we did put a call out to anyone who may have had some questions for our show about nothing or some talking points. Uh, one of them that came across my Instagram account was who we think is going to be the MVP, the best defensive player and the rookie of the year for the WNBL 21-2022 season. That's a biggie. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a big question. That's a big question, especially since the ball hasn't bounced on the start of the season. No. And, like, I can't even get a gauge based on the preseason footage I've seen online and on social media because all of the teams are at these completely different phases of preseason. I mean, some of the uh, main players for each team haven't even haven't even gone to preseason yet. That's true. And I know that when we were um, shooting game film for the Flames, we never put the preseason games up so as not to give uh, the opposition an opportunity to scout. Mm. So I'm willing to go out on a limb on one of these and I'm doing it based off last season's performance and NBL1 performance. So in terms of defensive player, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Annalie Maley, based off last season's NBL performance and a performance in NBL 1, I don't think there's a board that Maley has ever not tried to go for. Yeah, I still have trouble comprehending like how, how she gets in the right position every time. It's just like she's got this superpower of kind of like, like Quicksilver from X-Men of just getting <laughs> the right spots or, cut, or like really like being really fast with her feet or cutting people off like really close to their body so there's not a lot of time and space for them to catch up. It's a, it's a superpower. I think we'd be um, questioning if she's got some superhuman rebounding strengths that we don't know about. Yeah, hey, I can't disagree with you. And before we, we started recording, you made an interesting point about Rookie of the Year. Yeah, so Rookie of the Year, I mean, I don't know – the exact ins and outs of Rookie of the Year. And I have to double-check if this has perhaps been uh, recategorized as the Youth Player of the Year or like 21 and Under Player of the Year. 
I'll have to double check because technically Alana Smith is playing her first WNBL season. So she would technically be eligible for Rookie of the Year, right? Well, yeah, on the old system, I believe so. Even though she may not have got a lot of minutes in the WNBA, she certainly, you know, was there at training. She would have been scrimmaging with her teammates. So, yeah, that would make her pretty up there, I think. Yeah, and she was still included in the Olympic team. So she's basically gone from WNBA to Olympics back to WNBA. Um, She is now back on home soil. I believe she's home quarantining and posting some daily videos on her Instagram to help cope with her boredom. But she, I mean, and she went to Stanford and we know that how talented that she is. So it's be a great opportunity for Alana to really showcase her talents now that she's back home. But I have a feeling it is now changed to the under 21 youth play because I think Shyla perhaps would have got the that award in the after the bubble season last year. I don't want to. I, I am a bit reluctant to say all this out loud without <laughs> having something to back me up. That's all right. It's a show about nothing. We can, we can kind of let this one slide for time. <laughs> Um, But for me, with Defensive Player of the Year, I know that Brittany Sykes, the import for the UC Caps, she was very close to being Defensive Player of the Year for the WNBA. So I'm expecting her to bring the same talent and intensity for the UC Caps in the WNBL. So she's probably one to watch. I also like Loz Nicholson. I think that, you know, a lot of people know Loz Nicholson as a really good scorer, but I think her defense is, is also really, really good. And then I think the reigning uh, defensive player of the year would be Steph Talbot. So you probably can't count her out either. Yeah, that's true. There's a few people up there who could be in the running for that one. MVP, wow. I I wouldn't – I, I don't think I'd like to go go out on a limb on that one. There's just too much talent in the league. Oh, so much. Oh, MVP, oh, anyone's game. Uh, I guess it's probably not natural to look at some of our imports now that we have imports back this year, which is fantastic. People like Monique Billings, I'm pretty pretty keen to see based on what I've seen of her and Marina um, Mabry as well. They might be in contention. But for some of our Aussies, oh, gosh, I mean, you've got Steph, as we mentioned. You've still got Kayla Francis, who I think was the MBL1 North MVP, if I'm not mistaken. And Perth's got a whole bunch of talent as well. So uh, MVP, it's going to be a really tough call. Yeah, I really wouldn't want to go out on a limb on any of that one. No, it's it's really, it's really, really close to call. Um, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Um, I guess it was going to depend on, I mean, hopefully they'll look past scoring. I think I'd like to see the MVP go to someone who's still from a successful team because I think without no disrespect to any past MVP award recipients, but I think sometimes when you're the best player in like a middle-of-the-road team, that's always going to be your role to carry the team on your back and get big numbers and kind of put yourself in a position to be considered for MVP. Uh, So it would be kind of cool if MVP came from one of the top two, three teams because to be one of the best players not only in the league but in your team to get yourself in that championship position, I think that's... That, to me, is the edge of someone who should be awarded MVP. Okay, let me ask you this one. What about a team like the Flames, where you've basically got a really young team, 
yeah. where there's a potential for you know players to be able to have a real breakout season on the basis that there are no expectations on the team there are no expectations on the players so therefore you know just like last season with Maley really there were no expectations on her performance and she literally came out of nowhere in terms of that defensive performance do you think that maybe a team like that or or new players who are coming into the league and just literally just decide to go for it could be a possibility like a possibility for MVP do you mean yeah and I mean I'm not saying that you know just off the back of one or two good performances. I mean, you know, they put in a standout performance right throughout the season. Whether the team makes it into the finals or not, it's how valuable was their contribution in terms of performance across the league and also in terms of performance for their team. Yeah, I think to be fair, if they were consistent in both for yeah for their team and for their league and they still came eighth, I think to be fair, you would have to still consider them in the MVP race with every other uh, outstanding player or MVPs from every other individual team. I think so. And if you look at the Flames roster, like you said, they're all young. A lot of them are like, I mean, I wouldn't call anyone in this team a veteran other than Lauren Mansfield. Yeah, agreed. Uh, And in my eyes, she's still really young. I don't see Lauren Mansfield showing any sign of slowing down anytime soon. Yep. Um, She still plays just as well as when I first played against her in Adelaide in like 2009, 2010, ages ago. But look, the edge that Lauren Mansfield has is being a veteran in a team like this, is having that experience and that maturity and that's something you can't really replace or unless you've, you know, had that rite of passage to, to become a veteran and to keep playing. So something like that can really give you an edge of being MVP of a team because something like leadership, maturity, experience, and just being a grounding factor for such a young team, that to me is, I guess, a characteristic of an MVP as well. Yeah, can't disagree with you on that. All right, well, let's just keep rolling along. Okay, I'm going to throw another one out. This one's been bugging me a bit, and this is to do with Ads for sports gambling during WNBL games or Asia Cup games or during the Olympics or, you know, on TV, particularly on KO and Fox Sports. There's a lot of sports gambling. And I think for a sport that markets itself towards as a family sport and really is trying to capture a younger audience to sort of stay and grow with the sport, I'm not seeing sports gambling as being a good mix in televising the games yeah i don't and i feel like sports gambling almost cheapens or i'm trying to think of the right word other than cheapens but kind of tarnishes or undersells the wmbl or any sport like especially if wmbl uh you know as talented and a league and as we you and i know it is if it's going to now have greater broadcasting reaches on KO and Fox and things like that. Uh, I just feel like, you know, the sports gambling ads is such just like really cheap bait of trying to get people to watch. That's also a bit of a tarnishing thing for me is that they're just using gambling ads. as like, oh, yeah, look, if you don't have to pay attention to it, just gamble on it because it's fun. But then that exposure, like you said, of more gambling ads to a younger audience and to younger people looking up to the WNBL and to families and things like that, it's it doesn't sit right with me either. I'll be really interested to see if the same number of gambling ads are played during the WNBL 
broadcasts on all of, well, probably not ABC. ABC is not going to show any ads. But on KO and Fox, I'll be really interested to see if the number of gambling ads is the same as when we watch the NBL. Yeah, I, it bugs me. I mean, I know I know my kids um, absolutely hate the gambling ads when they come on. They actually make, the truth is they make jokes about it. It's like they literally say, how stupid are these ads? How stupid would you have to be to believe these ads? So... You're right. I think it does cheapen the sport. I think, and cheapen is a good word. I mean, look, I get TV has to pay the bills somehow, but get your marketing guys out there to sell your product to a different group because the number of, of sports gamblers is, you know, pretty limited, right? In one respect, who are going to be watching the WNBL, they are going to gamble on it. Yeah, I get that, but it's just not a good fit from my point of view. And, um, you know, to be honest, I learned this from watching Mad Men, but, you know, what we learn from Mad Men is often true. But the whole idea of <laughs> <laughs> I learn a lot of random facts from TV. I'm going to I'm gonna own that. Um, no, 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 you're, you're making me think about wanting to go back and watch the series again. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing a, a Mad Men revision just as a side note. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I need to watch the last season again, to be honest. I'll just watch the good bits. Um, <laughs> Yeah, in one of the later seasons of Mad Men, one of the guys working at the advertising agency, I can't remember the character's name, but he, you know, essentially television becomes more and more of a an opportunity for them to sell ads. And he kind of develops his role for himself in the agency of being the guy to match ads with the right TV show. So kind of pairing like who who's this TV show's target audience? Let's pair up the, the same ads that are going to appeal to that audience, right? Which is to me, I call me, I don't know, like I said, I don't know anything about advertising or marketing. Maybe that's just too simple to be true these days. But pairing up something like the WNBL with gambling, you know, discredits the sport and it's, you know, it's not family friendly, probably not something we, an association we want to make. But kind of be a bit more creative of like, well, if it's WNBL, don't go as far as putting, you know, shampoo ads and ads for razors and anything that's pink just because it's a women's sport. But can't we still get things like, I don't know, nutrition supplements that would be appropriate for young athletes or like can't we even just get Milo? Milo's a good one for everyone, right? Yeah. And look, let's let's not go too far. We were talking with uh, Georgie Maynard just a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. right? As she said, there is greater consideration of a product by both male and female fans of female sport than there is of male sport. So there's this great opportunity for any organization that wants to get that really good fan engagement with their products to get in there and advertise on the WNBL. Yeah, because we're, like we said, sick of the gambling ads. I'm pretty sick of all the fast food ads, you know, Hungry Jacks and whoever else. Let's use this opportunity to diversify your advertising a little bit and, like you said, take advantage of that higher likelihood of consumer engagement in your product by, you know, putting some ads with the WNBL and sponsoring a team or the league. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's opportunities there and, you know, I actually went back and reviewed the documentation that we had for True North and and from Georgie Maynard and based off their sample size, and it's actually really big in comparison with a lot of other studies I've seen in that space, you know what? It's pretty solid. 
if you own a company and you want to get really high levels of engagement and a lot of connection with it, with your products from team, WNBL, definitely, that's the way to go. Yeah, perfect timing. You've got KO, you've got Fox, you've got, oh, okay, again, not ABC. No KO ABC. And Fox. And K- yeah, so like strike now while the iron is hot, as they say. Absolutely. Who do, we, who do we need to deliver this very important message to directly, Paul? I don't know. We'll have to come up with a hit list and get it out to them. Do you not have Milo or Nestle on speed dial and say, "Happily <laughs> to the uh, wish. the head honcho at Milo, please. I'd like some commercials, please." <laughs> okay, so let me throw it over to you. What else have you got on your on uh, your mind? So a really interesting basketball-related question, but not typically WNBL-related question or Australian women's basketball. Okay. Now, to be honest, I got some of these on Instagram and I didn't save them. So I'm probably paraphrasing this question. This question also came from one of our loyal listeners in Canberra. Okay. Um, the question is, which skill would you sacrifice? Like jumping skill or boxing out skill? Like, Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, you'd prefer both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ideally, you would want a bit of both. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I suppose um, boxing out is where I'd kind of lean towards in that scenario. So you, you would rather be able to, you know, maintain your ability to jump really high and sacrifice your ability of boxing out? Yeah, because if, if you can jump, chances are you've got an opportunity to be able to get up there and, and get the ball. True. See, I was – when I thought about this initially – I thought the opposite. Okay, why? Was uh, in a sense, you know, because rebounding was probably one of my strengths as a player. Uh, and growing up, I was pretty lucky. Like I had a pretty decent ability to jump quite high. Um, so growing up before, you know, you, you learn the skill of boxing out and the value of boxing out and it should be become like a non-negotiable skill as a player. You know, when you start playing under 10s and when you get to under 14s and stuff, everyone's just jumping everywhere, Right. So for me, just running in and jumping and being competitive, that was it to my advantage. Uh, and then growing okay. up, it becomes more and more focused on boxing out. So I think I think being able to box out really well, like tagging your player and being really physical and holding your player away from the basket as you become a senior player is probably going to be a greater skill than jumping if you, if you want to get rebounds. Being able Fair to enough. stay strong, keep someone on your back, and create that space in front of you for the ball just to because if you get if your team gets really really good at boxing out all five players essentially the ball could go up it will rebound and if your five players are really good at boxing out and holding the player on the back the ball will bounce in front of you so I guess then you don't really need to be able to jump but having said that jumping ability is like a, a gift like it's a natural talent and natural part of athleticism whereas boxing out is probably more of a skill that could be learnt. Yeah. So now I'm a little bit torn. Well, see, coming from somebody like me who's not got a great jumping ability, I'm like, hey, jumping, that's the way to go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just jump over everyone. That's it. Just take a mark. Yeah, absolutely. But if you come up across someone who is very good at boxing out, no matter how high you can jump, you have to find a way to get around them. And if you jump over them, you're going to get fouled off. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And actually, totally unrelated to this, but kind of, one of the things that got announced recently was Casey Samuels for Canberra. Yes. And there's somebody, just because you mentioned Marks, there's somebody who went, 
basketball, AFL, basketball again. Yeah, yeah. Another one of our talented Australian female basketballers who are talented enough to play both sports. Yeah. And it's Uh, interesting that she's signed. I'm really glad that she's back in the league, actually. Uh, The Samuels family are a very talented basketball family. I'm not too sure if you remember Casey's older sister, Jamie Lee Samuels. Not off the top of my head, no. So she's around my age group. She actually played for... She, I, she went to the, when it was known as the AIS. I think she spent maybe a year at the AIS, but she um, actually spent a bit of time for the Sydney Flames back in the day. Okay. So that's Casey's older sister, Jamie Lee, and then in between Jamie Lee and Casey is Danny Samuels, who is actually uh, the, well, her, her last name isn't Samuels anymore. She's married now. But she's actually our Olympic di- and world record holder discus thrower, Danny Stevens. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so um, who recently actually, side note, just announced her retirement from Discus. Okay. But, yeah, she's a, a Olympian, Commonwealth Games athlete, world champion, Discus thrower Danny Stevens is Casey's older sister. How fun, how's that for a sporting family? And Danny also used to play basketball back in the day. She was also quite good. That's amazing. But I digress. Uh, it is exciting that Casey is back. It's interesting that she's signed as a development player, though. What do you think about that? Look, to be honest, she's back in the league, right? And mm. I always thought that she was she was a good player. She always had could make things happen. So I'm glad to see her back in the league. I know that she was doing really well in NBL One North. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's good that she's back in the WNBL. And look, regardless of how she's back, I'm looking forward to seeing her back on the floor. Yeah, me too. Me too. I was really glad to learn she was still playing up in Queensland. And, yeah, it's great that she's taken this opportunity to step back into the on-court for WNBL. So, yeah, onward and upward. Good luck to her. Yeah, going to make watching some of those Canberra games really interesting. Yeah, yeah, because she still brings a, a wealth of experience. I think, did Alex Bunton actually say that they were of similar age group when we had our recent episode with her too? I think she did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think they were all at the AIS together. Mm. So that's a n- nice reunion for them. Yeah, it's it's actually going to be an interesting team to watch. There's some really interesting teams to watch this season in the WNBL. Mm. I'm going to go back to another topic that we've talked about in the past, and that's old men yelling at the clouds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, where would um, be without those old men yelling at the clouds? <laughs> and the reason I'm bringing this one up is because I saw an interesting article show up the other day where it was talking about how social media actually, the algorithms behind social media amplify those sorts of opinions rather than the more considered sensible opinions, which was really interesting. So basically... You know, it's almost like Adrian Wojnarowski over in the States in for ESPN, who's like, you know, old man yelling at the clouds. Right? <laughs> and all the clouds are basketball-shaped clouds. Yeah. Right. And his opinions get amplified way beyond. I mean, look, yeah, he's, he's a well-connected journalist, but there's that amplification that social media drives for his opinion. And it was just interesting reading the article. It says basically, yeah, these sorts of opinions get pushed out more and get pushed out wider because they tend to get a greater level of reaction from people. So in effect, social media is saying it's better to go out and be Alan Jones and just 
complain about everything without actually having a solution for what you're complaining about because your message will get further, which, you know, to me, it just doesn't sound good. No, and it's not necessarily a message that we either want want to hear or need to hear. And then often these sensationalized type messages on social media by these men yelling at clouds. Personally, I think it just keeps fostering that kind of behavior of like, I'm just going to say something controversial and outlandish just to get a reaction and get some attention. It shouldn't work like that. I mean, it shows that even social media isn't safe from the patriarchy really, is it? It's still just kind of forcibly driving all of these uh, outlandish sensationalist men's opinions of things. And I guess, you know, Dr. Casey Simons did say in our episode about social media that all of those voices are needed in the sports media landscape, I guess, for, you know, showing every every side of a story and for kind of like giving different opinions and, and different facets to the same thing. But at the same time, yeah, I, I kind of worry about the longstanding effects of this type of behavior on social media where it's just kind of like almost like a Stephen A. Smith outlandish thing, like Kyrie is an idiot. And I don't yeah. want that to be the norm of conveying and sharing a message in a sports land, in any landscape, sports, fashion, art, whatever. I just don't think that's that's productive or um, what's the word like really meaningful. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's one of those things that look. Thankfully, we don't have a lot of it here in Australia. I mean, I have seen from time to time those sorts of reactions from people. I know that there was strangely enough, it was a conversation about the history of the Kings mm. and, you know, somebody, I think it was Matt McQuaid came out and he made a point and it was, it was a very good point. And then out of nowhere, there were people coming out and having a go at him. And it's like, well, hang on a minute, you know, and, and you could see that those opinions were actually getting more reactions than the sensible ones. So you kind of sit back and go, well, hang on a minute, this isn't the kind of direction you really want to be going at. Now I, I look, I get Social media can be a bit of a swamp and everybody's got an opinion and they're all entitled to give their opinion, like Dr. Casey Simon said. But you've also got to be able to kind of temper it. And if what you're fighting against is the social media platforms who are giving, you know, they're amplifying those sorts of messages, then you end up in the sort of situation where everything gets so crazy polarized that nobody can have a sensible conversation about anything, you know, particularly when you're sort of talking about sports or, or what, it's something where people get emotionally involved, you know, it starts to get, it gets a little bit out of control. And we've all seen some of the commentary that bounces back and forth on social media, even around sports and sometimes around the most innocuous comments. Yes. So, yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that because the penny kind of dropped for me as you were talking that another thing I'm worried about as well is that these kinds of conversations that happen online, are that they're going to translate to real life. We're going to lose the ability to have like fair, honest and understandable discussions with each other face to face because social media just fosters that whole, you know, for, for social media is the platform where people can just hide behind the screen and say something as outrageous or outlandish as they want to with no consequence or accountability. And so I wonder, like, when we start to talk to people face-to-face about the same thing, you know, is that going to transfer into real life and then we just end up being absolute jerks to each other? Yeah. Look, I remember as a kid, you'd go to you'd go to a game of something, basketball, rugby league, rugby union, whatever it was, 
And during the game, the fans, they were behind their team and you'd have a go at the other team, right? Even at the cricket, right? You'd have a go at the other team. But it was all really good-natured stuff. I mean, I remember going to the cricket as a kid, uh, one-day games particularly. Yeah, the crowd would sledge the opposing team. But it was pretty good-natured stuff. Now, to me, it seems like it's gotten a lot worse. Yeah, it's like there is uh, nothing is off-limits on social media and people take that too seriously. And then when they go watch a live game face-to-face, at their home court or their home ground, then they take the social media behaviour with them. It takes the fun out of it and it's just completely unnecessary. And like you said, it, it takes there's no good nature about it. Like I've seen it even in my home club when they'll take something very personal about a player and very shameful to admit that even in one situation a player from the opposition had a disability of some sort and they use that against them. And it took the rest of us to pull up that person and say, that was way too far, mate. Like you can't be pulling apart the opposition because they live with a disability. Like have some common sense, first of all. But what you say online and what you say online to sledge another player like is already wrong. So you don't bring that into the real world. Like how embarrassing. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. It's almost like you know, the, the opinions tend to be, oh, this is a problem. Mm. Okay, it's a problem. So do you have a solution? There is no solution. They're just constantly throwing out problems, which, okay, I get that. But you know what? If you're constantly throwing out problems and you're not coming up with any solutions or you're not offering any solutions, guess what? You're part of the problem. Okay. Did you have someone in mind when you were saying that last bit, like an example in your mind that you were modeling that from? No. It's, well, I mean, the, the, list is, the list is long and illustrious. Yeah, you can look at Alan Jones. He's, he's the master of throwing out, oh, this is a problem. Oh, right? he's, he's a Any, monster. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, he'll throw out a problem, has no sensible solutions for anything, hmm. And, you know, I've seen it in sports. You know, Wodge is one in the US. Smith is another. You know, they're constantly throwing out, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem, right? And it gets the eyeballs and it gets the clicks, but I'm not seeing any solutions coming from them. So basically, really, they're just part of the problem because they're just amplifying the issue. Mm. And, you know, the one person, I only ask you that if you had someone particular in mind because you almost directly quoted one of my friends just yesterday saying the same thing about, someone in our Australian basketball landscape who has a huge platform to that they could be using for good and be using for the right reasons like education or support or positivity or something. Can you have a guess of who, who it is? Yeah, look, I could guess, but, you know, I don't want to, sp- I don't want to spend like weeks locked up with lawyers. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. Maybe if our listeners are intrigued enough by – us dropping enough, they can go make their own guesses. But and I suppose the reason it's it's bugging me is because we're heading towards the WNBL season, and stuff's going to happen. Mm. You know, coaches will make decisions that fans don't like. Players will make a play that you know fans will be dissatisfied with. And you know what? It happens. Okay, and yes, you are entitled to your opinion, and yes, you can make your opinion. Keep it civil, or at least please try and keep it civil, you know, and don't just sit there and go, you know, what was that coach thinking? Well, you know what, the coach was thinking whatever it was that they were thinking at the time, and they made a choice, and it may have been a good choice or a bad choice 
on balance, but at the time that decision was made, they thought it was the right decision. And they're hard so, choices you know, to make. I've sat they're hard choices to make. I've sat in that head coach's seat when it's, you know, a one two point ball game down the stretch of a semi final. And I don't like that feeling and that's why I prefer to be an assistant coach. <laughs> um, they're hard decisions to make in that moment and I know that that's the coach's job and that's what they're paid for and experienced for. But it doesn't mean that decisions right there and then are going to be easier. And I think the other thing with the other problem that I have with the social media thing that we're talking about where it's becoming a very much man yelling at clouds is that, A, no one's keeping these people accountable and, B, the double standards that comes with that type of behaviour because some people will forever be the men yelling at clouds and whatever they say in different levels of severity aren't going to be kept accountable and it's going to be like, oh, that's just them. But I'm sure when other people from other contexts and other genders go and behave the same way, they're going to be punished in a different way. They're going to, you know, the cancel culture is going to come in. The backlash is going to be heavier. That's the other thing that annoys me about that group of people. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's like I'm really hoping that we can get through a season without, you know, people losing their minds on social media. I know it's not going to happen, but it no, would be no. it'd be nice. I suppose overall the issue that I have with it, and it's coming back to that article that I read, is if what the social media platform is doing is amplifying those those sorts of opinions, you're going to find people who are just going to go out there and say, like, I want to grow my fan base. And so the way I'm going to do that is by constantly throwing out hand grenades and seeing what reaction I get. And whether it's positive or negative reaction, it doesn't really matter to the to the algorithms in the back end. They just go, oh, it's a reaction, and it's been a big reaction, so therefore this is good. This is what we want to keep showing people. Yeah, it's Pavlov's dog of social media. It's almost like conditioning almost, or maybe that's a bit of a stretch to say it's operant conditioning. Maybe I intellectualise that too much. Yeah. let's. I want to end this on a more of an up note. Yes, let's, let's, our... let's please do. There's going to be a lot of double headers at Kudos Bank Arena Ooh, with the Flames. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And the Kings. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's great. I think it's really good. You know, it's been a long time since we've seen those double headers as a regular thing. I think it's going to be really good for the WNBL to be able to show what the league is capable of to Kings fans who, in a lot of cases, really haven't had that exposure to to the Flames and the other WNBL teams. Yeah, totally. And let's sell it to the families this way if you go earlier not only will you get to see another high quality game but your kids will be occupied for longer so you won't have to spend as much time with them <laughs> yeah i'm not sure that that's the positive message <laughs> but hey. keep your kids entertained for longer and you can have a bit more respite if you just bring them to the game earlier maybe i won't recommend that to paul smith down the line but um <laughs> But uh, I reckon for me, like living on the Central Coast, Sydney really isn't that far away. Actually, the drive to Kudos Bank Arena is really easy from here, surprisingly. And me being a a Kings fan and a Flames fan, it's super convenient for me. And I'm probably more likely to go to games because I don't have to spend as many weekends, you know, traveling for games when I can spend like less time traveling and more time watching basketball. So win-win for me. Yeah. 
the double headers that they've had in the last couple of seasons, I've always felt that the Flames were well regarded by the Kings fans who were there. And, you know, no, they didn't catch the whole game. They usually catch the last quarter. So you'd see the crowd filter in across the game. But I always felt that the crowd appreciated what they were seeing, that it was good quality basketball. And certainly the night that they did the celebration for uh, Belinda Snell, just the reaction of the crowd, you know, I think it's something that we're all going to be really looking forward to. I think it's going to be a really good outcome for basketball and for Sydney basketball. And even catching that last quarter of the Flames game, that's hopefully enough of a taste for them to go, wow, that was really good. Maybe we should come earlier next time and watch a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, if your ticket gets you the ability to see both games, why would you want to miss out? I know that first time that we went back in the day to the entertainment centre, we went early to see the Flames, to see, you know, what was the game like. And it was good. It was so good that we wanted to go back and watch more Flames games. So I can't help but believe that that's going to translate this season as well. Yeah, and we've got to, obviously not overnight, give it some time, give it some, you know, some sunlight and some water and some fertiliser and watch it grow. But it will be really interesting as well into a sense of merchandise for me because I love going to, I love going to Kudos for the atmosphere. I like that it's got places to eat so you can make a little bit more of an evening of it. I like that there's more accessible parking compared to when we go to Sydney Uni to watch the Flames. Even though I like watching the Flames at Sydney Uni too because I do like watching a really intimate game where it feels like I'm sitting courtside and yep. often you and I were literally courtside. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really like you walking in and you see the, all the Kings merchandise and it just kind of like gets you a little bit more hyped up for the game and the team and the culture and the club. I really hope that they're going to do the same for the Flames, like if you're going to walk in and see a whole board of Flames merchandise because I have noticed online that I think it's at least Perth, but maybe Perth, but definitely Melbourne Boomers have already started to release some of their singlets that fans can buy up leading towards the WNBL. And listeners, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like WNBL singlets have been that accessible in the last few years, which has always boggled me because I'd love to buy a WNBL singlet and wear it to Sunday scrimmage against the boys and say, yep, this is so-and-so, they play for Townsville Fire, this is why they're really good, this is why they're worth me buying a singlet. I mean, it's all part of the further advertising and promotion of the league, right? So give me a flame singlet, Paul Smith. Yeah, uh, look, flame singlet. I'm still holding out for Hawaiian shirts in kings and flames colours. (laughs) Why not? Branch out Hawaiian shirts are... I mean, to be honest, only a small group of us are going to wear a cap. I don't want a cap. Um, (laughs) I don't want a polo shirt. We've got to let go of the polo shirts and leave them for coaches. Um, No, no, no. I've got no no problem with polo shirts. Okay, you can keep your polo shirts and your Hawaiian shirts. (laughs) But I I want a singlet, even if it's a really cheap, like, training singlet that looks like a training singlet that's reversible and it's only, like, 50 bucks instead of 80 to $100 for a player singlet. That's fine with me. I just want something that looks like I played for the Flames. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things that that all kids want as well. 100%. Um, 100%. Yeah, definitely the merch. We need to have a a good quality and good quantity of merch available for the teams. And you're right, you know, Melbourne's already getting it out there. 
And the more merchandise that's out there and the more we can promote the league with the ability to be able to buy merchandise, the better it is. I mean, one of the biggest complaints of the WNBA from this, the final series of the WNBA was, if you were looking at social, was there a lot of people complaining that they just couldn't get merchandise. Yeah, I, I remember Liz Cambay, she even tweeted that her singlet is, I think, in the top 10 most popular or most purchased singlets of last season. However... You couldn't buy them from Australia. Like I don't, yeah. I don't think you could purchase them or post them uh, to Australia. So that's a whole, you know, what's the point of having, you know, one of Australia's prominent WNBA players, top ten, you know, top selling singlets of the league, and then you can't even buy it in your home country. Dumb. Yeah. No. Definitely. It's. You know, you've got to be able to have the merchandise available so that people who want to buy it can buy it and they'll wear it and other people will see it. Even if it does nothing else, it'll get them asking questions about who is the team, who's the player, where's this from? Yeah, I've still got my Anthony Hardaway singlet from 1995. Wow. Yeah, I didn't take the tag off it either. <laughs> oh, no, no, I must have. I did take the tag off mine because I used to wear it to um, learn to play every week. That's I wore my Anthony Hardaway singlet. And my brother had the same singlet, exact same singlet. We bought it in the same trip to America. And he didn't take the tag off his because that's the kind of guy that he is. <laughs> keeps his Star Wars figurines in the box, keeps the tag on his Anthony Hardaway singlet. Does he keep the sticker on his caps? Yes, he does, 100%. You know this guy. You know this guy, Paul. They're all collectors. Yes, hopefully. I'm pretty sure he won't listen to this, so I can get away with it. <laughs> okay, Jacinta, as always, it's been great talking to you. Looking forward to doing our next podcast with you. It's been great talking about basically nothing. Likewise. Let's do this again sometime. Yeah, we definitely will. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.